Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio. Um, very happy to have you tune in to listen to us today. And, you know, for those that have listened uh, repeatedly in the past or our regulars, you know that I've covered topics similar to what I'm talking about today. But whenever I find two reasons why, you know, I have over 180 podcasts, so you'd have to go back pretty far back to find one that talks about wealth preservation using these special vehicle structures to preserve wealth and increase income. And so, and then there's always, sometimes there's new stuff. I'm always learning stuff. I meet people when I go to various events um, or things that I've read about or people that are referred to me. And when they've got something that I think is high value and is uh, inherent to me as an inside secret, I'm always finding as I shared in my book with the 44 secrets inside secrets to angel investing when I find these things you know when it is that there's the wealthy use their wealth to get wealthier because there's they they've increased their financial IQ to quote Robert Kiyosaki you know you have to grow your financial IQ in order to be um, knowledgeable enough, even though you may have specialists around you that, that focus on different things, you know, accounting, taxes, legal, things like that. There's a, there is, it's on, it's on, the obligation is on the person, that wealthy person that wants to grow their, their, their liquidity, grow their discretionary income, preserve their wealth for generations to come to learn about these inside secrets that the rest of this uber wealthy use. And so when I met Charles, my guest today at this uh, business acceleration network summit that I had attended, I was receiving an award and he had a table out there and I said, Oh, tell me about what you do. And it was fascinating. I said, well, my, my investors that have read my book and the ones that listen to my show, they need to learn about this. And it's something that um, it's just something that everybody needs needs to know about. As a if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, and you have the expectation that you are going to turn your company from a million dollar startup to a five hundred million dollar liquidity event, or fifty million, or whatever it is, you need to know these things. And it's not something that the average tax guy is talking about. It's not something that the average wealth planner or financial advisor is talking about. And, you know, Charles may share to, uh, with us some of his theories on why that is. <clears throat> but I know, at least when it comes to angel investing, financial planners and wealth managers and accountants and lawyers are not talking about becoming angel, an angel investor or putting your money to work in 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 financing an entrepreneur's passion, being the right side of the quadrant under the cash flow quadrant of Robert Kiyosaki, where business owners, 
create businesses that survive beyond them and take their money and invest in things that create additional wealth for them, you know, that's the right side of the quadrant. And those, and all of those folks that I named, they're probably less than 5% of the population of lawyers, accountants, financial planners, uh, mm -hmm. <clears throat> wealth managers talk about angel investing. And I know it's because of a big part of it is lack of awareness on what it really means to be an angel investor. And the second uh, part of it is that government agencies have made it so that they, that there's a fear out there, uncertainty and doubt about using, doing, taking these, these measures to create wealth. And so there's, um, but when you, when you dig into it, these are the things that just like the very first 1933 securities law, it was something that the wealthy put in place, lobbied the government to, so that they could continue to build their wealth and their generational wealth by investing in the things that were creating our country, railroads, hotels, banks, all of those things. They, all of the stuff that created the infrastructure and the business opportunities of our country were made possible because of the 1933 and 1932 Securities Act that it enabled private investment into private companies. Now, it's changed you know, over the years. I have a whole section in my book and the addendum that talks about those changes, but you know, there, those were, that was there. And to this day, there are millions of people in the United States that qualify as the official term angel, accredited investor under angel investing that make over $400,000 a year with only about 3% of them ever making an angel investment. So that, that's millions that don't even know. That's why I do this show is to spread that word. And that's why millions of these people, they don't even know because it's, it's been an inside secret. <laughs> and so I want you to hear about another inside secret from my guest, Carol Thiessen. He is a thought-after speaker. He's a wealth strategist and a business maverick that you'll hear about today. Although he's originally from St. Louis, he's, he's been in South Florida for decades. And he's going to talk a little bit about his journey from where he – and what he's gone through. And he'll have a personal story that I'm sure many will relate to. But he has a business philosophy – that empowers, powers his client, excuse me, powers, empowers his clients to keep more of what they earn and to follow the quote from John D. Rockefeller, one of the original angel investors that created an industry, generational wealth, as a result of lobbying our government to change the securities laws and allow for angel investing. The path to success is to own nothing and control everything. Now that's that's a that's a very interesting idea. Own nothing. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Yeah, because we often think about it. Exactly, Charles. Because <laughs> we often think about we got to own stuff. But what you're going to hear about here in just a few minutes is a mechanism to protect the things that you own. So through his one one of a kind tax savings structures and strategies, you're going to learn one of these inside secrets. And then he's going to talk about some of his personal personal stuff. So, so with that, I want to welcome welcome to the show, Charles. How are you doing today? Hey, Karen. I am blessed. Thank you. Feeling great. So, Glad to very be able good. to share with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
everybody has a journey that that you've had a breakthrough. You had a personal crisis, if you will, that forced you to look for new means for creating wealth and keeping wealth and protecting your wealth. So tell our listeners how that about that journey, and then we'll get into actually what the inside secret is. Okay. Sure. Sure. Thank you very much. I mean, uh, I, I remember reading your book. You're the, they used to call you the deal maker. You're, you're, you're definitely a deal maker. You're putting things together. You're still the deal maker. Yeah. So, thank, you. Uh, thank you for that. I was, I was a contractor, a business owner for 25 years. You know, in 2008, a lot of people lost half of their money that they had, or they lost their business, right? 2008 and nine, that was the big, uh, a big upside down moment. Uh, but for me, it was a health crisis from 2002, 2005 to 2008. Uh, it took all we had to fight a cancer battle. So sold my house, went through all my resources. You know, we, we were trying to provide quality of life. And um, in 2009, I had to start all over again after having spent all that money. I was only 55 years old. But an extended health crisis had wiped us out, and unfortunately, I was underinsured, and I don't know what I know now, or things would have been different. Okay, so that, so that, that, was, that was your trigger event, and you changed careers into financial services, and you know, right. starting so, over. We you know, we share a common story there, and you know, in our fifties, of feeling the need, like, and discovering it's not too late. To to right. you know create something that's lasting and have an impact on the world, and you are with this information that you have. Thank you. Well, yeah, T. S. Eliot said it's never too late to be what you could have been, right? And uh, for many years, I had wanted to change careers. I didn't want to be in the contracting business. So, albeit after a crisis, and you know, it's not how far you fall; it's how high you bounce, right? So, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> you got it. Got into financial services, and I had a really big sense of urgency. And this is really, you know, a lot of people are asleep at the wheel. They're tired. They've been doing what they're doing a long time. But unless somebody, something comes along and smacks you down, you know, everything's going good until you get punched in the face. So here I am, 55 years old, starting over in a new industry. What I did was I quickly developed relationships with as many insurance and CPA professionals as I could, real estate investors, to expedite my learning process. I, I didn't have 15, 20 years to build a traditional planning model, right? So I was in a hurry every day and meeting people and asking more than the normal amount of questions because I needed to recover myself, you know, put the oxygen mask on first and find out what tax saving strategies were there that would complement their wealth management and real estate investing. I didn't, I didn't just stay in one area. So that developed into a passion where, you know, I immediately focused my passion on the mitigating taxes and business structure because that's what I felt would help me the most. But I was astonished that, you know, I was, I'd never been told by my peers or professionals that I worked with during my contracting years how much I could have saved on taxes. I found out very quickly within about two years how the all these relationships that I was developing, I was learning about the financial industry, the insurance industry. I worked in the tax master network and they have so many strategies and instruments where 
I could have structured my business and finances to leverage and have more tax savings even before we had the crisis. But if I'd known about any of these before we had it, then I wouldn't have been financially wiped out. Okay. So, you know, let's talk about what, you know, this instrument that you're talking about, because, um, you know, I've heard of strategies in the past of, you know, of putting money up into life insurance, certain types of life insurance policies and uh, irrevocable trusts and things to protect assets and, And so those are things that a lot of times people are somewhat aware of. I mean, I've heard of these things. I've been to workshops on them. I've heard of this stuff. I have relatives that sell life insurance, and they talk about this and the things that they do with wealthy people. And so uh, explain a little bit about those particular programs, and then we'll get into exactly how you're, you know, like the, what they do. So people may either go, oh, yeah, 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 I remember hearing about that. And then we can bridge into you know, the, the inside secret that you, that you know about that is different from those. Well, of course. And, you know, what, what really got me before I go there was how many other professionals, you know, we talk about in the beginning how people didn't know about these things and the inside secrets to angel investing. Well, there were so many inside secrets here. I was just astounded by the people that I was meeting, not just my friends from before that, they would use one or two strategies from their own industry and these tools that, that you're asking me to tell you about, they just ignored them, I guess, from other industries that would result in tax savings for their clients. And, uh, you know, so I'm pretty driven to introduce these, you know, traditionally you mentioned life insurance, more people know about life insurance strategies because there's, there's quite a few of them. But if you ask one person or one life insurance professional, if they know about everything I put on this list, they often won't know. You know, there's a, there's a letter out there called The Banker's Secret, and it talks about bank-owned life insurance. Uh, the University of Michigan has a life insurance contract on Jim Harbaugh, who's their coach, and it's a strategy that they put for cash value life insurance, the same thing that banks own, called DOLI. They buy insurance on their executives, and it goes into their tier one capital, which is the number that they use to base their fractured reserve lending off of. They can loan out 10 times that number. So bank owned life insurance is a great place to put money. It's private. Nobody can take it from you. And it's, it's historically returned to six to 9%. It's, it's not in the market. You can't, it has a floor and historically it's recovered enough money that banks use it. The University of Michigan owned it. They're, they actually bought a policy on the coach. So when the coach passes, they're the beneficiary, and they're going to repay themselves for all the $9 million a year that they pay their, their college coach. They're going to get their money back. So that's a pretty stable instrument, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah. So that, I guess. That's just one of them. <laughs> you know, there's – there's closely held insurance where you the maximum deduction on that is $2.2 million for a company that wants to charter their own insurance company. Uh, there's a very little known thing called the Augusta rule. These are things that I learned from all these other professionals. But what was really weird was when I tried to get them to go and do more marketing with me, I'm the one out here doing the marketing because they're busy doing what they're doing. And that's why people don't know. 
you know, when somebody does something, they very rarely make an effort to get it out to a lot of people. The Augusta rules, you know, with the Augusta, Georgia, where the golf course is, you can rent out your home. This is what happened during one of the Augusta events. A business owner found out that he could rent out his home. It would be a deduction for his business, and the income for him personally on his own private residence would not be considered taxable. How's that one? So that, that's yeah. kind of a double dip there. There's medical expense reduction plan. Yeah, well, I think it's. Oh, those are part of other forms of insurance that people can use, which would complement what you're talking with the kind of program that you're going to be talking about. But um, I, I, you know, I, I maybe and maybe it's because it's similar to what you explained to me about the trust that you do that um, I know I'd heard about folks taking because they because of the mandatory uh, mandatory drawdowns on 401ks that they will roll their money in. To buying a fully funded insurance, um, uh, life insurance that they can receive payment from prior to their death, and it's protected. Um, it's a protected asset. So, well, it's it's a loan against the cash value, and because it's a loan and not a withdrawal, then it's not taxable. So they're drawing down a tax-free income in retirement with inside a uh, index universal life policy would be uh, the category for that. Okay. So let's talk about... And you can actually um, finance those, you know. There's there's a company called Kaizen that allows you to finance it. Just like you finance your car and your house, you can actually finance your retirement. You put in a a certain amount for five years, and they double that and put it in for 10 years. Then they take their cash value out, and you wind up with twice as much income in retirement than if you would have done it by yourself. No, oh. and then there's I guess a defined benefit part of it that where we talk about generational wealth or being able to pay it forward, but you have an even better program. Yes, well, the defined benefit allows you to tax defer, uh, but there's the 2006 Pension and Protection Act means that you can do that with hundreds of thousands of dollars actually, uh, but you do have some restrictions on when you have to take the money out. You know, your required distribution. And if you have more than there, – there is a limit on it, except in the unique, uh, highly specialized trust that we use to, uh, to put you in a situation where there's no limit on the amount, there's no required minimum distribution, and you can use the money while it's sitting there tax-deferred. Those are key points. Okay, and then when it comes to trust, not all trusts are created equal, so – Talk about the one that most people are aware of, and then we'll roll into your project. So the one most people are aware of, 99% of trusts are, are uh, grantor revocable trusts. So you go to your attorney and you ask them to draw up a trust, and you're the grantor. You're the one who established it. And revocable means that you can change it, and they're, they're called living trusts. 99% of trusts are sold that way. Now, unfortunately, the most highly litigated issue in corporate law, this is according to the Wake Wake Forest Law Review from uh, September of 2010, the most highly litigated issue in corporate law is whether to pierce a corporate veil. So these 99% of trust that most people have are the ones that if there's, you know, something that you did wrong or if there's a lawsuit, you know, 35 to 50% of businesses will be sued 
this year and every year. And um, if they can pierce the corporate veil to your living trust, then there's no protection for your assets. And that's the one that is, unfortunately, the most popular one in use in our country. Well, and they also, I had a situation, well, they, well the revocable, so talk about first before I tell my story, the revocable versus, there's an irrevocable trust, right? Well, the irrevocable simply means that the trustee, the person who puts the you know asset into the trust or sells it to the trust, that you can't change that. But if you have access to the funds and full control and no ownership, nobody can sue you for it if you don't own it. And if you have full control of the asset, then you're just repositioning it, and you can do the same thing as if it were a revocable trust. So that's like you mentioned with the government and the fear that people have and the uncertainty and the doubt. They don't know enough about the actual compliance and law and most of the people that are selling trusts are not selling that type of trust. So it's hard to find out that irrevocable is okay if you still have access to the money and if it fits your, your overall what you're trying to accomplish. And it's one of the things that well, I learned when I was settling my dad's estate is that when you have a, a A beneficiary and a B beneficiary, then whatever that A beneficiary's ideas was of how they were going to leave that legacy to their children doesn't necessarily apply when the B takes over and changes it because they're also part of the trust. When who changes it? When the, the uh, you know, you have a, an A and a B partners in a trust. One dies before the other one. So it's A and then B and then B can go in and change it or take away or, take away some of the powers of the trustees and then that can impact. I mean, they're just saying they're not infallible from a generational wealth standpoint. Well, ours is, ours is a non, not to get into it too early, but it's, it's not possible well, to change let's, it unless you are the yeah. trustee. Right. So let's, um, let's talk about that. Cause uh, you know, the whole reason I, and I want to real quick in case people have to drop off, we'll, we'll bring this back again, but to learn more specifically about this, you're going to want to go to Charles's website on this matter that's called the Wealth Preservation Trust. So it's www.wealthpreservationtrust.com slash CT for his initials, Charles Thiessen, I guess. That's so, my initials, CT. Yeah. Okay, so um, so we've just sort of talked a little bit about what, what people attempt in the various different types of insurances, things to protect their wealth. And we've talked about the things that people try to do with trust because there's a lot of seminars out there. I've been to a number of them talking about trusts and things like that. And so this, right, you have, the product that you have that, that you became aware of, that you discovered, is a really truly a, and, and the ultimate protection and tax savings in what you call your IP trust. What does IP stand for? We, we call it an intellectual property trust because – you know, a great a great teacher will make things complicated. A great communicator will make something very complicated very simple. So the, we call it an intellectual property trust, but if you were to look at the characteristics of it, this is – let me tell you what kind of highly specialized trust it is, okay? Okay. It's a, it's a non-grantor, irrevocable, discretionary 
dual track with a spendthrift provision trust. <laughs> so ah, now you know why we call well. it yeah. intellectual property trust because you can't answer all the questions on the front end there. But each one of those items complies with a special code, a loophole in the code that the super wealthy people have used for decades since 1954 when this was put together. Uh, the reason it was put together was because prior to our country being established and having an IRS, the wealthy people used trust from the 1850s. That's where all their wealth is, right? It's all sitting in there. And if you go to YouTube, by the way, now this is in my video, but if you go to YouTube and you put in Getty Profit and Loss, like John Paul Getty, Getty Profit and Loss. There's a video there of from a series that was done on television, and John Paul Getty is describing to his grandson how you sell everything to the trust, and this was his grandmother's trust, and you loan the money out of the trust for your operating of your business, and then you take it from one business, the profit from that business, and you invest in another business, but you never distribute the money. This is the key. This trust that we have, this intellectual property trust, is written in the terms and conditions that there is no requirement to distribute annually to a beneficiary, which is just the opposite of everybody else's. The purpose of this trust is to do what wealthy people have always done, and that's to accumulate wealth in a non-taxable environment so they can compound it without ever having to pay any taxes. And that's how this works. It complies with uh, with the code that's written in, there's about 20 different codes that are scattered throughout the IRS code that when you put them all together, gives you this item that we describe on our webpage as like an IRA, but it's tax deferred. The tax, the possibility of tax is only two ways. If you take a distribution to the trustee, which you do, we recommend people take at least 10% of their income and make it taxable. The other 90% goes into the trust and it's tax deferred until either there's a distribution to the trustee, like I said, or 21 years after the last beneficiary is deceased. Yeah, that's something to, to you know, people be like, what? What did he just say? So, <laughs> exactly. you, know, you know what I mean? Exactly. They're driving in their car, listening to this or, you know, walking or whatever and, you know, they're like, oh, okay, wait a second. Let me just, let me, let me recap that. So, you know, the things well, that that's we, why we want you to go to this website, there's an opt-in yeah. page. It's not a complicated website. We don't put everything on there for everybody to go do their research. At the end of the day, all they want to know is, you know, is this real? And do you guys have insurance if something goes wrong? So you go to wealthpreservationtrust.com forward slash CT. And there's a, there's a, just a little opt-in there so that you can schedule an appointment and we can talk about and answer all the questions for you on a one-on-one personal basis. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so, and again, that was, uh, tell the website again, that was, uh, wealth preservation trust. Yeah. Wealth And then a forward slash C like Charles and T like Tyson. Okay. So, so let's go let's kind of break that down again. So it's an intellectual property trust. The two biggest things that the wealth wealthy, you know, when they've accumulated great wealth, um, and those that are in the, you know, upside, they're accumulating wealth. It's 
tax avoidance. You don't need to pay more than our fair share of taxes. There's lots of things that people do to, to reduce their tax burden. And then the wealth preservation from generation to generation. And I guess also avoidance of litigation because, you know, wealthy people become targets to, of litigation. And so that's the other part that's very significant. So let me help you with that. Yeah. 99% of the trusts that are issued, they have a corporation. There's some kind of a corporation. Our trust is not a creation of any state legislature. It only has an EIN number with the IRS. It has a state certificate that's filed with a state. But because it is what is called a spend, it has a spendthrift trust provision. A lot of people are very familiar with that term, and it's used for a lot of things. But you combine that with the fact that it's not a creation of any state legislature, that means that no judge has any jurisdiction over it because it wasn't created uh-huh. in his or her state. Wow. Okay. There's a gold nugget. All right. So it's my, my yeah, my, uh, thank you. My, the latest client is from uh, the international country. I won't tell you which one, but he's, you know, he's just got a different look on things over at this particular country. He's telling me that, that the tax rate has been a couple of hundred dollars a month for everybody. And now they're changing it to 20% of your income. And next year it's going to be 40 and the next year it's going to be 60. So he's got a real problem. Got a bunch of employees over there. And when I described this to him, he got, and he's is a software engineer, you know, guy. He goes, this is designed, this is like reverse engineering. You figure out exactly what would be the perfect instrument, and it's designed to perfection. And it was done that way so that, as I said earlier, the wealthy families, when when the tax laws came in, they weren't about to let the government start taxing them on their income. So they wrote into the tax law, if you're compliant with this trust, a way that you could defer taxes unless those two situations, and you're in control. You you partner your trust with an LLC, you only pay tax on 10% of your income, and the other 90% sits in the trust for the rest of your life, and you get to use it in a tax-deferred environment, and there's an exclusion also on the capital gains that are in the trust. So if you're a real estate investor, and you buy property with the trust, it's going to experience a capital gain. But good news, there's no more 1031 exchange needed. Whenever you sell that property, all the capital gains remain in the trust unless you distribute it, and you don't have to pay the tax on the capital gain. Now, people ask me, well, how do you get the money out? That, that's, a, that's a good question. We teach our clients to expense the money out of the trust because 99% of what you use anyway is your home, your automobile. It's for the benefit of the beneficiary or uh, it's an investment for the beneficiary. So your expenses are paid by the trust. They're not taxable unless it comes to you, the trustee, or it, you know, there's no need to distribute money to a beneficiary, which is what most people do. They, They just think that's the only way. Well, you just pay all their expenses And then there's never a taxable trigger until 21 years after the death of the last beneficiary, which could be 100 years from now or more. Well, yeah, and and beneficiaries don't necessarily have to be a family member, right? No, they don't. It could be a person, place, or thing. But the key is not to distribute money to them on an annual basis. But most people don't know there's another way to do it. We teach our clients to give them a debit card. 
and control the amount of money that's in the account. They can't spend it if it's not on there. But you never – the difference is if you want to buy them a pair of shoes or a house, you don't make a distribution and give them the money. You buy the thing for them as the trustee and the manager of the trust, then it's not a trigger for taxes. All the IRS looks for on your 1041 estate return is that there was a distribution to a trustee or a beneficiary. So the key is don't distribute to the beneficiary. It's not required. Because the trust is not, just to be clear, because I have a feeling people are going, well, what about this? So um, the trust itself does not, even though it has an EIN number, it doesn't actually file any kind of taxes or pay any kind of taxes of its expenses or its income. Is that true? Well, on page three of the instructions for the 1041, okay, and the far right-hand paragraph, the far right-hand column and the third paragraph, the directions are if you're the tax preparer, you have to stop and refer to the terms and conditions of the trust in order to determine the accounting income. So there is a possibility of taxation to the trust when you put the money in there, but it's only when there's a distribution to the beneficiary or to the trustee. And if your trust specifies, if it's not silent, in other words, if you didn't write it in there, then they would assume that there's going to be a distribution. But we write in the terms and condition of our trust that we are not required to distribute to the beneficiary. So when they look at our 1041, everything is there. It's all, There's no tax evasion. We're not trying to hide anything. We put all the assets and all the expenses, and it's just simple addition and subtraction. What they're looking for is any distribution, and if there's a 10% distribution on on uh, your income, then the rest of the tax is owed by the by the trust, but it's not taken unless it's distributed. So you expense it. Okay, so there. So, okay, let's do a hypothetical or you, okay. you know, you've been doing this for a while. You might have a, a, a customer example that a client example you can give. So say somebody got a, got a real, a real a, estate investor that's 70 years old, but you know, he didn't want to reinvest the money. He sold a commercial yeah, talk property. About that, Cause there was one property, right? That he did, or did he end up moving a lot of his um, assets into the trust? Well, what we do is we, we, we have, First of all, it's a non-grantor trust. So we established the trust with a $21 gold coin and, you know, put the first money actually into the trust. And then the the non-grantor that establishes the trust walks off into the sunset, never to come back, signs it over to the trustee, and they're gone. So now the trustee is not a grantor. He's a non-grantor which puts a a layer of separation there, and that's where they don't own any of it, but they just manage it. So then the trustee or the trustee overseer, you can be both if you're one person, then you endow everything into the trust, but you sell it to the trust. Now the trust owns it, and in this case, we had a, a commercial property that we sold to the trust at basis, and then the purchaser bought it from the trust and the capital gains were realized by the trust. They were The funds were still in there. Anytime you have a capital gain on real estate, normally with a 1031, you have to reinvest it in a like property. But this guy didn't want to do, he didn't want to do any more investing. He wanted to do other things with his money, not in like-related things. 
So because you have the trust, the capital gains remain in the trust, and according to the code, they're actually excluded. They're not deferred. So he owed over 500000 in taxes that he didn't have to pay. And so in that, and in that particular scenario, he can make he can use that extra five hundred thousand and the rest of the profit that he had from the sale of that property, because once he, he transferred it and then the, it got sold within the trust after the capital gains were incurred, right? And then right. he can go and invest that in other things, or if he was planning on, you know, I'm going to go on a six six month sailing boat cruise or something. I'm going to buy a yacht with that money. Let's just say. Well, then if it's, if the, it's the food, fun, and fashion, the trust could buy right. that. If it, would buy that. If it's food, fun, or fashion, then he has to take the money himself because that's not going to directly benefit the the beneficiary. Something that he likes to eat or a vacation that he's going to take, you know, that he needs to take the money out and pay the money. But the the rest of the capital gain, if he wanted to buy a boat and put his office on it, that would be okay. And he could use the capital gain for a boat and do business on the boat and follow all the rules. And he wouldn't take the money out and buy the boat as a distribution. He would simply expense the boat, buy it with the, the trust account funds. So there, what kind of limits are in what the – oh, I'm, I'm having a great time talking to you. I just looked at the time. Um, so, so let's, as we start to wrap up on this, I was going to ask about limits on this and you could probably, you could probably talk hours more in going through all the nuances, which is why people need to go to the website and talk and, and, you know, set up a time to talk to you and learn about, about this, see if it fits with them and the kind of lifestyle they have, because we already talked about LLCs that are wholly owned can go in it, but it's, it's a little bit more awkward when you have a corporation that you only own a portion of or something like that. It's a little bit more complicated. So there are certain things that are ideal for this kind and bottom line and certain things that aren't, but bottom line is by taking advantage of this particular type of a product, then you have this mechanism, if you will, then the uh, wealth, the person that has that wealth and wants to protect it is going to be better off that's their their income. They're not going to have the same tax structure on their income on that. They're not going to have – they're going to be able to protect these assets against uh, uh, taxes as well as litigation. And so right. it should, it's the kind of thing that should be incorporated in an overall strategy of wealth preservation. Right. right. And I, I believe that it's more important to minimize taxes and minimize losses and, you know, and find money that you're – unknowingly and unnecessarily losing than it is trying to pick the winners all the time, you know, and hope that everything's going to go good. Uh, finding money and, and strategies like this will put you far, much farther ahead uh, overall than, than taking any risk. Yeah. And we didn't get into the difference between this and retirement plans like 401ks and things like that and mandatory dis- dis- distributions at certain ages. But that's something that you could talk to people about if they go to your website, sure. this website, and you know, ask for a free consultation. Well, you know, I want to forewarn people. There's another video you can go see on YouTube. Uh, if you Google on YouTube, or you just search on YouTube, not Google, but search, search the tax train is coming. 
There's a, uh, it's now I think on Amazon Prime, the entire 45 minute documentary, but it's pretty, uh, pretty in your face because there's a lot of economics professors and professionals and politicians. They're they're all on this documentary saying that they believe that just the unfunded liabilities that we have means that within another five years, taxes are going to go way up. They, you know, they can either stay the same or go down or go way up, which, what, what do you think they're going to do, Karen? <laughs> stay the same, go down or go up. I, mean, I think they're going to go up. Uh, yeah, you know, they say we'll 50% get a little bit of more quality video. in that, but it's yeah. pretty frightening. So, and what was you know, the J Paul Getty video? What's the search for on that? The J Paul Getty video is a Getty profit and loss. Getty profit and loss. And you'll see, John Paul Getty drawing out a diagram of the grand to the grandson of the grandmother's trust and how that works. And what's really cool, and, and you know, I hate it when you go to the movies, right? And somebody tells you what the movie is. Just the last minute of that, I don't want to tell you what it is, but the grandson watches the grandfather do this, and he asked a question that is so so compelling, you know. And then and then the grandpa makes a comment and just smiles, you know. Well, that, that then he gets then he talks to him about you know taxes. So that's my commercial for that one. Go watch that one. Spoil it for you. I will. I will. I will. So very Daddy good. Again, yeah. So um, I thank you so much for being on the show. This has been fascinating and uh, definitely something to have a conversation with you about. Uh, and you know, if even if you are, as a listener, it doesn't feel that you've accumulated sufficient enough wealth or assets to take advantage of this, it is, again, back to the financial IQ. You need to know these things if you are a goal setter and are working hard to achieve your goals um, it, you know, in the future. I agree. Your financial Everybody goals, needs you need to know, to know this. The sooner the so, better. You don't, you don't have this $100,000 minimum because, I mean, today with technology the way it is, it's the best time to start a business ever. There's more companies doing, you know, joint venture and affiliate things. You can definitely leverage your sweat equity. You do not have to have a ton of money. You just have to. There's five things I tell people to do. Number one, begin with the end in mind. Okay, figure out what you want in the end, you know, where you want to retire, what you want to do, what you want your lifestyle to be like. The second thing is start now. Don't wait. I don't care how tired you are. You got to find out these strategies because, you know, something happens and you you didn't take you didn't look soon enough start now that's the second thing the third thing is look for what's missing you know and and that's kind of hard to do because you don't know what you don't know so you just got to keep asking questions the first start with us obviously but challenge the the status quo you know don't just accept it if you don't like it look for what's missing and then use multiple strategies that's number four multiple strategies to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Most people are not aware that there's a there's a law that says your social security can be taxed. If you make over a certain amount of money, they're going to take your social security check and take 85% of it and multiply it times your tax rate. You know, and but there's a strategy to prevent that from happening. So you need a strategy for that. You need a strategy to protect you need a bunch of different strategies. Use all of them. And number 5 is for goodness sake, celebrate and share your new freedom. When you start finding this stuff out, don't keep it to yourself. Karen and I are working like crazy to get the message out, right? Yeah. But we need your help. You need to you need to share this this new freedom that you're going to have when you find out that 
it's possible to have a better lifestyle. It really is. Yeah. It's not just the wealthy. There's there's not two tax codes. There's only one tax code. So yeah. if Amazon can pay zero not- taxes, how come we're not doing that? Yeah. Is that because we're lazy? I don't think so. I just think that people don't realize what's possible. There's only one tax code. So start yeah. now. All right. Listen to all of Karen's podcasts. Be, you know, get on this all the time and 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 listen to whatever she's doing to help you to to move ahead. I appreciate your time allowing me to share it today, Karen. Thank you very much. Thank you for being on, Charles. And again, that's wealthpreservationtrust.com forward slash ct forward slash also, ct yeah and i also want to encourage people to go to my website karenrands.co and on there you'll you can get an excerpt out of the book or just get the book it's only 20 bucks but it's uh you know 12 of the 44 secrets and here's another one we now have 45 cool. so with that <laughs> thank you Number everybody 45. yeah onwards and upwards have a great day thank you karen